0: It's good to be back here in the pulpit. Uh, I've been in the Sunday schools recently. Uh, My wife has been in the the, uh, Sunday school class for the ladies and we enjoy our time there. And I had an opportunity to speak at uh, prayer breakfast a couple of months ago. Uh, We, our association with this church goes back to probably the winter, the the, uh, late fall winter of 2011. We came into the area to do deputation and we live in, we're living in Lafayette and uh, took us a couple of years to find a place to live. And if one of the houses that we almost bought was on the other side of, of town here, uh, we almost certainly would have joined this church. But we moved to Lafayette, so that's a little farther to drive and we chose a different church but I still have a a very strong place in my heart of affection for this church. And so having said that, some of you, you know, they'll say, I don't, we don't know who this guy is. Well, I'll take care of that in a little while. Some of them may may even say, why are you not wearing a shirt and tie? Well, we'll talk about that too. (laughs) But first I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and you probably figured out that I'm a missionary and you're getting scared because he, he's probably gonna talk about the uh, saints, the collection for the saints. I'm not going to, so put that to rest. We're gonna go to the latter part of that chapter. But as I've, I mentioned, Joan and I are missionaries we are missionaries with international partnership ministries and our function is to train the leadership in the churches that our missionaries have planted we've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 43 missionaries in different parts of the world some of them have one church and are just starting some of them have been on that on fields for 20 30 or more years and uh, one missionary team of two men in Ghana have over 35 churches that they have planted. They started planting churches, building uh, Bible colleges, and and they've grown up. They've actually got a, a church uh, in Togo that is from that original plant. And that's the, the model that IPM tries to cultivate. And so when those pastors get enough of a body of believers together that they want to start training them for future ministry, they call on people like my wife and I. And so I am in the education department. I normally teach basically pastors. My wife teaches children's ministry subjects and ladies ministry issues. We are getting ready in less than a month now, right? To leave for the Philippines, the same island, island, but a couple of provinces west uh, of Mindanao. And we are going there to do two weeks of primary ministry. Uh, Joan will be doing a VBS. And I forgot to bring the book with me. You got the book? You know, wave it around? No, don't have it. Anyhow. Oh, I did. Levi's got it, but you can't see it from there. <laughs> so, have a VBS and they're, she's going to teach the students in the Bible college to prepare and then to take that VBS show, if you will, on the road into the mountains to the villages and the towns around the area. And we've done that before. As a matter of fact, we've done it enough times that they're, we're coming back and starting one that we've done before. Levi has gone uh, once with us to do the same sort of thing. And it's been very successful. And over the course of the years, we have had a number of students that have contacted Joan and said, I haven't so many saved in my VBS. So it's been a fruitful ministry. And it also trains the students in children's ministry in general, not just the VBS. She's also going to do a Sunday school seminar. Uh, We did that. In 2016, the last—I'm sorry, 2019—the last time we were, we were there, and it was very well received. And so, some of the local area churches and the students are going to get for uh, for the Sunday school seminar. It's going to be four year, four days. They said four days. So that's her job. My job is to train uh, the the pastors that have some experience, and they're going to uh, have a Master of Ministry class. Right now I'm aware of 12 students and we're actually gonna do two of them. So it's two weeks. One of them is going to be on the pastor and his family and I actually taught that in 2016. Uh, so I'm, it's the new batch of students, hopefully all new. <laughs> and then the other one is gonna be hermeneutics, the interpretation of the, the scripture. And so that's what I will be doing. And then something a little unusual is going to happen Joan is going to fly home without me, and I will stay for an additional two weeks. And the reason is that uh, Pastor Nemok and I have been talking over the years of the possibility that we could help that Bible college with the seniors and the fourth-year students who are doing their internship and help them to move along and, and increase their uh, ability to minister, and so that would be a, a, a one-semester uh, commitment, and we would be there living in Kagandoro uh, for a semester and to do that. Now, I probably would teach a VBS into the, to the bargain, and I would probably teach two classes of uh, Masters of Ministry, but we would do it in a, a longer format. So that's something I would actually pray for, Uh, ask your prayers for. One, obviously, the teaching that we're going to do in April. But the other one is that God would give wisdom for whether we should come back for extended periods of time. And so that's one of the things that we're asking for. All right. Did I leave anything out? I don't think so. Okay. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16, 15. 1615. And I don't know what your uh, custom for when the word of God is read, if you stand up or sit down, whichever it is. I, I got I got some. Ask him to stand up. If you're able and willing to stand, please join me in, uh, in reading First 1 Corinthians 1615. Now I have to make sure I find it. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, which is the first fruits of Achaia, and they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, that we get to sit here or stand here with a Bible in our hands a Bible that we can read in a language that we can understand well. And I ask, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of the people as we uh, talk about this topic. Lord, I ask that you would give me wisdom, give me clarity, help me to my, make, uh, not make too many stru- stru- stroke-related errors, especially the ones where I say exactly the wrong thing and become a heretic. And, Lord, I ask that you would... Work through your Holy Spirit to lift up and glorify Christ before these people in a way that would would bring glory to him and him alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Addicted to the ministry of the saints. Now, as a pastor, and one that actually teaches younger pastors, there's a couple things I would say about the very start of a book and the very ending of a book, especially an epistle, all the greetings and all of the salutations and and the signature at the end is not the place you want to get your theology from. And you have to be very careful. But there's something in here that I want to look at because I think it's very valuable. It's also something that you have to be careful with when you find a word that is only found one time in the text of the scripture, which is the word addicted. Addicted only one time. And, and the fact is, if you use the, uh, the modern the way that they put the King James together, it's even uh, it's a footnote. It's in a parenthetical expression. It was something that somebody put in that's not part of the main message. It's like, okay, Brother Farley, why in the world are we talking about that? And this is the, the minutiae. Well, it is. But one, it's inspired minutiae. Two, it teaches us something here. Something that I think is important in this century, in all churches. Now, the word "addicted" is related to a word that we is found elsewhere, and it basically means to set in order, to appoint, to organize, and it's a plural word used of the whole household. So Stephanus, probably the master, if you will, of the the uh, household, had. People in his household some of them would have been family members some of them may have been servants some of them may have been employees extended family we don't know for sure but we're talking about a house in the sense of household and then it says that that whole household it says they were addicted to the ministry and it says themselves so that themselves tells us that it was voluntary. It was not ordered by the master. He couldn't force them to be addicted to the ministry. Now, he could force them to cook them the food, wash the clothes, take care of the kids, plant the garden, pick the grapes, whatever. But you can't actually force someone to be addicted to To the ministry. Because ministry is something that has to come from the heart, has to be someone who's a born again Christian. It's something that they were doing. So the whole household voluntarily engaged in this ministry together as a group, or as we in the 21st century would say, they were a team, a ministry team. So it says he addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now, if we go back to that concept of ministry, that's the root word. That's the same for the word uh, used for the deacon. Now, in, in Acts, it doesn't use the word specifically there, but we understand what happened when the, with the deacons. There was a problem in the church early on. There was an, uh, oops, I'm not reading my myself up. It could be described to 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 the word for ministry could describe the offering for the saints at Jerusalem that Paul is talking with. Some, sometimes ministry is financial. Deacons were in a financial ministry. They had a problem with the widows. The Gentile widows didn't get funds. The Hebrew women women did get funds because the Levites got, gave it to them. So the church fixed it by appointing deacons to minister and their ministry was to bring food or financial resources to the widows along with their wives. And the exhortation to the Corinthians to give that financial ministry had already been given by Paul. So we're not talking about money here, folks. That's in the very start of chapter 16. We're at the end of it. So when we're talking ministry here, we're talking children's ministry, music ministry, call to the ministry, whatever acts of service that the church does for each other, and we could even say to the unsaved in the sense of an evangelistic ministry, that's what ministry is. So it's the same thing that we would mean today if we said ministry, nothing fancy there. Now it says it's, it's addicted to the ministry of the saints, the holy ones, the saved, the church members. So therefore, I don't think it was evangelism. It was the minister within the church. The saints are to be the beneficiaries of the ministry and the household provided the ministry. The example of this household is what Paul means in the passage. If you go to 1 Corinthians sixteen sixteen, it says that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So Stephanus household is to be an example. Paul's holding up. Says, it's like those people over there. They minister to the saints. And then to submit is again to arrange under. It's a similar word different preposition but it's based on the same thing. To submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God, Ephesians 5 21. So we're talking about submitting to each other, but also arranging for ministry, and it's a reciprocal situation. Stephanus and his family were submitted to the ministry of the saints, and then they ministered to the saints in an orderly fashion, and that's a way of engaging in organized ministry. The, the household of Stephanus placed their welfare and the needs of one another before their own. So Stephanus was having work done by his household that was not helping his household produce monetary and a means of living. Because they were ministering to the saints. The individuals in the household, same thing. They were taking food out of their own mouths to give it to saints. They were taking time out. So they're doing the same thing. And if you look at Ephesians 5.21, it talks about submitting one to another in the Lord. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Parents submit to providing for the needs of children. Now, most kids don't think of that. But the parents are taking an act of submission by ministering in many different ways to their children. On the other hand, the children are submitting by obeying their parents in the Lord. And it's a mutual submission. We could go down that passage in Ephesians through chapter 6, talking about wives submitting to husbands, husbands submitting to wives. Then there's the parents and then there's the employers and the employees. Everybody that Paul is talking to submits one to another in a church within that Christian community. So everyone is in submission to someone and someone is being being ministered to, by someone else. And you have a reciprocal ministry on the one hand and submission on the other because submi- some ministry is submission to the needs of others rather than the needs of myself so there's a cost to ministry it may be financial it may be time it could be something else but there's a cost and that cost is borne by the person doing the ministry and the person who receives the ministry gets the benefit and that's the way the bible is talking in this passage we're talking about submitting and receiving and giving, working one to the other. So what does that mean to anchor hope, anchor of hope in 2023? Not many of you have a household where the, the head of the household uh, has owns servants or bondsmen or whatever. You understand parents and children. That's something that's fairly easy to understand. But what was Paul really talking about there? And certainly, Acts 6 gives us the example. The church sows to set up a ministry of providing for the poor widows in their congregations. That's They don't, didn't use the, the word deacon, but that's an example and one that t- Paul recognized because he goes in 1 Timothy 3.11. He says, Talking to the qualifications for for deacons, he gives a pretty extensive set. But then he also says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful, in all things. So both the deacon and the deacon's wife are supposed to be involved in ministry in the church. Now, originally, it was providing food for the widows. A man in our church in Maine who used to, had a wife that came from Switzerland. And that church took this passage for the deacons very, very seriously. They literally built apartments for the widows that needed them. And then the church would provide lights, heat, food, other things. And so that church literally had a minister ministry to widows. That's probably not something that Anchor of necessarily needs to think about, but it's an example of taking that biblical mandate and doing something with it. So we need to uh, see the deacons and their wives are ministering together. And then in Acts, there's an interesting Passage where it says, now there was, uh, in Acts 9, there wa- uh, 36, now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds that she did. Alms deed basically means it's a, an act of mercy. She was going to the houses of the widows and she was giving them clothing. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, uh, uh, whom, when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And so the, 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 the widows were showing the, the evidence uh, there, and this woman was known for her ministry of alms deeds. So charity, as we would think, giving clothing, doing other things. So that is something that Paul would have said, and he he would have known about it, something that the church can do. It's like it's a matter of ministry. And that woman is remembered in Scripture for one thing and one thing only. And that's an acts of service and ministry. And so that's something that we need to understand. Hebrews 610, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work. And labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, that ye may have ministered to the saints and do minister. And in the next verse, it says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence and to to the full assurance of hope in the end. In other words, don't forget that God remembers the ministry that you have and the ministry that you do, and that's something that God is going to give us a compensation for, if you will. That ye be not slothful, verse 12, but followers of them that who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, when we think about ministry, who do we think about in the church? Oh, it's a pastor, right? Yep, that's true. Maybe the deacons. Yep, that's true. Maybe it's the the youth pastor or the children's pastor. Yep, that's true. What about cleaning the bathrooms? That's a service to the church. I would, um, and, and uh, going to the nursery. One of my statements is, and I, I saw this as statistic. A woman with children will 80% of the time make the choice whether a family will return to a church or not. And she will make that choice based on the nursery and the childcare that is provided for her children. If you've got a dirty nursery, you won't see that woman again. If you've got unloving nursery workers, you'll never see that woman again. If they come to Children's Church and say, that lady's not not nice, you're not going to see her again. I mean, seriously. And so we need to understand that some of these, quote unquote, menial tasks in the church are actually some of the absolutely crucial tasks for the building and the growth of a church. Now, I I look out on on the, uh, the auditorium and I see a fairly reasonable number of relatively younger individuals. Let's say under 50. But that's a pretty age-heavy church we got right here, folks. That's America in 2020, 22, whatever. Is churches have a problem with getting and keeping younger people. And so we can't afford any problems in the nursery or in the children's church or in the children's programs, even up to the teen years, because let's face it, there aren't a lot of opportunities. And if a church doesn't capitalize and get the children into the church and discipled in the church to grow up in the church, the church isn't gonna be here in 40 years. And let me tell you, COVID made it absolutely crystal clear. There are two churches that I'm aware of, one has done it, the other one is in the process of doing, they're shutting their doors. They got to the point where they basically, is nothing but people younger than I am in the church. Now that and the pastor was the exception. And one of the pastors is actually older than I am. But <laughs> so we need to understand for the life and survival of our churches in 2023 and four, we need to have a lot of effective ministry. Now. It says, we desire the author, who's the man that wrote the scripture, and his ministry team are involved in a effort here at Anchor of Hope. You've got the pastor, you've got Brother Bryce, you've got Brother Levi, you've got the deacons, you've got the Sunday school uh, Teachers, you've got the music ministry. You've got all these people that are in, and you've got a lot of people involved here. Let me tell you, no question about it. You're busy. You're doing things from the Lord. And the Bible says that that's kind of like a body, where it says, whom the whole body fitly joined together and pacted, and this is Ephesians four sixteen, by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of it, Self in love. What part of the body should you be? You know, there's the one part that says, can the one part say to the other part, I don't need you? Uh-uh. The eye needs feet. The eye needs, you know, the, the hand needs feet. The feet may argue about it, but the fact is they're really important. And so we need to find our place in the church. One of the other um, analogies is the church is like a building and then it, it gets built up brick by brick. But sometimes something unusual happens in the church. God says, I want this brick out of here. Move it over here, over there. When I first started, Going to church regularly, I didn't have any ministry, although I was actually physically helping to build the church, like hammer in hand kind of build the church. Uh, And then as they saw that I was regular in my attendance, as much as the Navy would allow me, the the pastor came into the office one day and he said, uh, Grandma, uh, I've got a job for you if you do it in the church. I said, oh, okay. And I said, I wonder what's going to be. You know, I sold my pickup truck because I'm not doing tree work anymore. Could you take the trash in your pickup truck from the back door out to the street Sunday night? And then I'll bring in the empty. That was my first job in the church, folks. Garbage man. And I did it. When I was available, I was faithful. And then a few months later, the pastor came into, and he says, Granville, I need a junior boys Sunday school teacher. And I said, Pastor, we don't have a junior boys Sunday school uh, class. He says, yeah, I know. That's why we need a teacher. I'm like, okay. I'll do it. So I literally went to James Island in Charleston, South Carolina, and I knocked on every door of every boy that was in, enrolled in a public school on James Island, and I got exactly zero. One of the ladies in our church was a teacher, and she provided me, probably illegally, the, the name and address of every junior boy in, in that entire school system. I was only one island. Didn't get a thing. So my job in Sunday school was to go into the Sunday school class and pray for 45 minutes for a class. Everyone once in a while a boy would show up pity him. <laughs> but that's what I did. That was that's what that's what the church needed and I tried it. Then one day he comes to his grandpa. We want you to pray about being a deacon. I said, "Well, I don't think I can be a deacon because it says a deacon has to be the husband of one wife and I'm not married. He said, well, we'll work on that one. <laughs> you're, you're a one, one woman kind of guy, right? I said, yep, I am. He said, okay. So I became a deacon. Now moving up, different ministries, different responsibilities. And then the Lord had called me to preach and missions and I had to res- uh, resign my position as deacon because I went away to seminary. Oddly enough, two or three years later, the other deacon that, I was, that was there also did the same thing. They, they were losing deacons to seminary faster than they could replace them. And so then my ministry changed. Then I was in seminary, then I was and in, in, in missionary. Then I got married. Then I, be, I became a pastor. Then I became a missionary. And how here we are today: different ministries, different joints, different parts of the body. But just like the church itself has one body, so to speak, the wider church has one body. So that I come in and I add a little bit of a lack. That. Anchor doesn't that has. And tonight it's because the pastor wasn't here. So someone's got to do it. And so I'm doing it. Sometimes I get to teach Sunday school. Sometimes my wife teaches Sunday school and we're part of the body and we have different things that we fit in. So the question is, what ministry. Should you be involved in and it will change over time, maybe your age, maybe your marital status, maybe the needs in the church, things change. And then it says, be not slothful, slothful, Hebrews 6, 12. You need to keep on keeping on. Um, I'm not as physically or mentally capable as I was, but I can keep up some level of ministry. My plan was always... To pastor until I was sixty, roughly speaking, and then want to do one of two things: either take my Navy pension and get another man to to join me with me in ministry so that we could do more, or to go to to let someone else take the church and I would go into a different ministry. And the Lord did two things: one, He said, "That's a good plan," but I want to make a minor. Alteration. You're gonna have to start before you're 60, not depend on your money from the Navy, and start ministry. (laughs) So that's what we did back and forth for a couple of years until the the Navy came in and we could buy a house. But my jobs have changed. They will change in the future. If we get what we were talking about in the Philippines, all of a sudden that's gonna change our ministry. We're gonna ministry in a different way that we had never done before, if the lord allows so i would say one reject a retirement mentality this is america you've got 20 year olds talking about how the, how much money they need to retire on now hopefully, hopefully recently the events have told them that you know that's not a how shall i say reliable plan you know all of a sudden you go from 2% inflation to 10% inflation and all of a sudden, your bonds aren't worth anything anymore. You know, that happens. But I've seen so many churches where the, the mantra is let the younger generation do, do it. And that works unless you don't have a younger generation. And I think it's good. We should let the younger generation be involved in ministry. Absolutely. Together with the older generation. The older generation needs to set that example to the church, to be involved in ministry to the level we can. I'm absolutely amazed. I think Brother Frank probably should be able to retire from doing prayer breakfasts, you know, on Saturdays. But I'm glad he doesn't retire. And he's got himself a team and they minister, and it's been going on for years. I mean, it's amazing. And I've watched him over the years, and he's still keeping on, keeping on. But you can see, just like me, he's lost a few steps. Somebody's going to have to take that over one of these years if it's going to keep going. So I counsel people to embrace a second career mentality or a second job mentality. I've had several careers and they've kind of gone together. But when I was in the Navy, I was busy in the church. I was doing things in the church, still in the Navy. When I got out of the Navy, I was in seminary. I worked two jobs, sometimes three. I was active in the church and I was going to school. you know, it's a small church, I was doing things. And so we need to have that, that full employment mentality. And I'm not talking about everybody having a job, I'm talking about being every, everyone be employed. Or have a second job. Uh, it was kind of interesting, when I got to Maine, I got there and the, the church had offered me a livable, sal- actually I considered it was a generous salary, more than I was expecting. But I found that most of the pastors in Maine were bivocational. Of the group that I, I fellowshipped with, um, all but one of them, and I was the one, were either missionary church planters or they were bivocational. Some of those churches now have full-time pastors. So then we moved down to Georgia. And I went to the pastor's fellowship and I found out that the majority of pastors, or at least a, a large portion of them, are bivocational. You've got men that are driving school buses. You've got men that have uh, second jobs. You've got, you know, doing other things. It's very common. And so we need to take that and say, understand, you know what, Lord, I've got a job, but I need to have a ministry job as well, whatever that is. So as you're here tonight and thinking, say, Lord, what is the ministry that God wants me to do? Now, for some of you, that's easy. It's the minister ministry that you are doing. Okay, that's good. But I have a—I don't know how shall I say this. I'd bet, bet you a nickel. Oh, wait a minute, that's his sin. So I'll bet you a penny that in the next couple of months Pastor Mao is gonna stand up here and say, We need someone to do something that isn't already being done in the church. And I'm saying, remember, Brother Charlie was talking about that. (laughs) Say, Lord. Did you want me to do that ministry? Am I suited by age, gender, or experience to do it? And watch out for the experience. Uh, On the job training is common in the church. Just because you haven't been doing something doesn't mean you can't do something. Gender is something that's, well, you can't change that. And age is something that maybe you can't change either. But just because you're too old to do something is not a reason to not do it maybe you're too young because if you're 18 and you want to drive the bus the insurance company will be mad at you for that one so you know we can't have that 18 year old boy volunteering to take the church van but be open to god's will for your life and if you do that something unusual is going to that well it's not that usual it happens all the time in christian circles god's going to do something with your willingness to minister, even if it doesn't turn into something successful like my junior boy's Sunday school class, which was an abject disaster. Never got one in two years. But on the other hand, taught me something about prayer. Taught me something about the ministry. I was the beneficiary of that class. I had another case where I ended up with a teen class. And I had one girl in the class. Brother Bryce, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? uh uh-uh. I had to leave the door open. Cuz I'm not being in a room with a teenage girl. But and I said, "Well, what book do you want to study?" And she said, "First Samuel." And I said, "What in the world?" I okay, I got a Bible. I could do for First Samuel. What I did not realize is this young lady had a sin problem. And the problem was stealing. And I basically said that the sons of, I'm gonna forget his name, was it Eli? Eli were stealing the, the offerings of the people. And I used that term. It cut her to the heart. She went to the pastor's wife. She got right with the Lord. I, how'd that happen? I was willing to do something that I was not necessarily suited to do. God can do amazing things with people that are willing to do something if there's a need and an opportunity. So I would encourage you, the next time you see in ministry opportunity, pray about it and be open to the opportunity for it. And as the church does that, All the hands and the feet and the arms and the legs, all working together, will make Anchor of Hope stronger and have more ministry. And, you know, you might just enjoy yourself while you're doing it in the way. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you have given my wife and I the opportunity of ministry through the years. Lord, I thank you that you have still g- given us opportunities to minister, even going forward, even expanding them going forward. And I ask that you would work in the hearts of the people that are here tonight at Anchor of Hope. Help them to get a vision for expanding their ministry horizons. Help them to understand the opportunity and the value of ministry for ministry's sake. And Lord, help Anchor of Hope to be known as a church that ministers to others, that enjoys ministry, and that undertakes ministry, and that in doing that they would see Christ lifted up, that they would see the Christ-likeness in the concept of ministry itself. And doing that, Christ will be lifted up and he will be glorified and he will get all the honor and all the glory. Amen.